Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Living free. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on the AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. I'd like to pay my respects to the elders, past and present, and to acknowledge that this land was stolen and sovereignty was never ceded. Each week on The Living Free Show, we showcase one of the many programs that assist in recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. This week our guest is Jane, who's recovering from alcoholism with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. Welcome Jane. Thank you, Bill. Uh, Also with me today is Gab, uh, and Gab is joining us for her first time as a Living Free Show's new co-host presenter. So Gab, welcome to the 3CR family. Thank you so much, Bill. Gab, alcoholic and addict, uh, gratefully sober today. Terrific. So Jane, um, we usually start... <clears throat> oh, we've, we've had you on the show before. Yes. As a um, pre-record uh, via Zoom uh, during COVID. And uh, you're back today and we're going to talk a bit more detail about your recovery and things like that. But do you want to start by just giving um, everybody an idea of your life and, and how you took the path you took into alcoholism? Okay. Thanks, Bill. And I am Jane and I'm a recovering alcoholic. My, I had 37 years of drinking. The first years in teenage and early 20s was considered quite normal. Um, but then I remember it just turning on me like just this dark impending doom it turned me into a foul mouth filthy drunk and not the person who I wanted to be but I I couldn't see that so I had so many rock bottoms it was um it was getting harder and harder and it was my family were at the end of their tether my Dear friend, who is still with me today, thank goodness, on my road to recovery, and she's a normie, as they say, and my family. So I first stepped into AA on a Thursday evening, and I thought, what on earth have I walked into? I thought, my husband has paid people to be there, because as I listened, I heard the stories of people hiding their alcohol, getting rid of their alcohol, waking up with um, that, you know, impending doom and that guilt, shame and remorse. And I thought, that's so true because I used to sneak, well, I don't know where I would land the night before, for the last seven years when I was in filthy, foul, blackout drunk at home, putting my daughter and husband in awful situations and um, 
I would sneak down the hallway and uh, open the dishwasher, see if I'd fed the family or what I had fed them. And to this day, my daughter rarely eats chicken with a bone on it because my cooking was quite pink. (laughs) And I would just yell like a banshee saying, there's starving children in this world, eat it. So that meeting I went to, I drove home past so many grog shops and I had not, I had not slept for seven years. I had passed out for seven years and I drove up and down the driveway, up and down the driveway and no, I didn't sleep that night. I didn't sleep for many nights but then somebody said to me, keep coming back, keep coming back and I thought, no one ever wanted me back. No one ever invited me out. If they did, my husband and daughter had to have a backup plan. My friends had to have a backup plan. And I could never see the problem was me. It was me. It was always them, those and others. And if you had my life, you would drink too. So I had three days of sobriety up and I went, oh. Then I had four days up and then all of a sudden... There I was, in the arms of the Fellowship of AA. And I mean that sincerely and passionately because from that first meeting to now being nine years and one month sober is truly a miracle, a blessing. I've not had a sip of alcohol I've not had chocolate with alcohol. I've not had a dessert with alcohol. I take my sobriety very seriously because I've been given back the trust and the respect, as Bill was talking about earlier, respect of my family and my dear family and friends. There are some people whom won't not trust me completely, but that's okay. I've done irreparable damage, but I've shown my family and my close-knit loved ones that I'm not going to drink. I'm showing them. I'm not telling them. I'm showing them. And it's all about action, and that's what AA has taught me is Mm. action and doing the next best thing. And it's a very simple program for complicated people like an alcoholic. Yeah. And what's good for you is good for everybody else in real terms. Yes, true. Um, Do you want to go back to when you first picked up alcohol, when you first tasted it? it? Did it do anything for you? Was it something that you've been looking for in your life? Uh, I remember my very first drink, but I don't remember it was what I was looking for until now, and it was with my darling girlfriend, and we had, our parents were probably out drinking or they were in another room, and we found some blackberry nip. (laughs) (laughs) But I do remember getting that, sense of 
comfort and ease and that mm. warmth mm. and it gave me a bit of a glow and I thought, oh, but I never actually thought that that was what was going to lead me into the dreaded path of alcoholism and I believe it's a genetic disease and it was and is rife in my past family. So, and I remember my my last drink too. It was a, um, a hip flask of brandy that had been in the car on a 33-degree day and I sculled it and I put it straight down the gullet of my throat and it was that hot you could have made a cup of tea <laughs> from it. <laughs> but I had to have it. That craving, that mm. awful, awful craving. I knew nothing else towards the end, Bill. It mm. was it was frightening. Mm. And, and what got you to stop? What was the pivotal thing? After many rock bottoms of doing disgusting, deplorable actions, there was a friend of mine who we would get together with at um, Christmas time and she and I would have a few drinks together and many more and she wasn't drinking and I thought, oh, God, she must be dying of cancer, you know. Then she said to me, no, my daughter has got sober over in London. I'm going over to London and I've joined, joined AA. So it was a few days after... And uh, I phoned her and she said, come, come with me. Just take the cotton wool out of your ears. Don't read too much all the banners and mm. literature, but just listen. And I did listen. And then I ran into somebody who was 45 years sober and he said to me Janie he said you're teachable and I thought oh gosh no one had ever spoken to me like that for a long time and uh, that's where it all began mm. and it uh, one day at a time I hope to live the rest of my days like that mm. So you talked about trust earlier. So early AA, you need to go to a lot of meetings. So what was your family's reaction to you, you know, not going out drinking but going out to AA things? Oh, gosh. It, interesting and funny looking back. My beautiful daughter said to me, what are you doing? You're hanging around with all these drunks. They're going to make you drink again, Mum. And uh, my husband said to me, Jane, swear word, you were never here when you were drunk and now you're out every every night almost. What benefit are we going to get? And I said, but they keep telling me to come back, come back, it gets better, it gets better. And uh, so after a while and earning that trust 
back of me walking, leaving the house sober and arriving home sober mm. was pivotal in the the trust. Then as I became more well in my mind and physically, mentally, work, life, AA balance happened. But that was only through action. That was only through me showing them I'm not drinking. Mm. And now it's now it's it, it's lovely. It's mm. lovely journey. Yeah. So how's your relationship with your family, you know, your husband and your daughter changed? Oh <clears throat> it's changed in a number of ways. I'm I wasn't always present as a mother, even though I thought I was, you know, the one, everything was f- perfect and fine and dandy. Until, but it's changed in a way now that I was able to attend and be part of my daughter's engagement party, leave the house, arriving home, looking the same way I did as I left, you know, not looking like Alice Cooper, crying, miserable, horrible mess. I was able to... um, She wanted me to be part of that. And Mm. for me, that is just so beautiful. And my husband and I, we... We have an up and down relationship like all relationships and, and he still has a few beers and sometimes he has more than a few and I get a bit cranky but that's me being that alcoholic. But I have to step back. That's not my business, you know. He doesn't overindulge all the time. It's But I've just had to ask him, you know, just move your stubby over to this side of the bench or little things like that mm. and uh, the respect Mm. Yeah, respecting his right to live his life the way he wants as well. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yes. Yeah. 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 Um, so, what about uh, you, you talked about trust, but building trust back up? So, what are the things that you know, like your daughter has had to address with you? What what sort of interactions did you have as an active alcoholic that you look back and go, that must have been difficult? Uh, difficult when. I lost my licence and I thought I'd be very clever and buy an electric scooter, (laughs) which to this day we can laugh about it now of many accidents. But in hindsight, that gave me the freedom to drink more because I didn't have to worry about 0.05 being Mm. picked up. Mm. So when we discussed that later on, and I did try to hide from her and I lied to her about the licence but became honest with her and it was about honesty and there was one time, many times, that I've explained that I did love her but love for the alcohol and the craving of that alcohol just was so overbearing that in some days I did love alcohol more than her. And as much as that hurt, 
it was truth. And now that that truth is out, there's trust. Mm. And I feel just action, action being present for both of them and me, she sees the service work I do for AA and I've also um, been able to help her in situations and because I do um, the overnight phone service work for um, the central service office, there was one time that I was trying to get somebody from the train station to the bus and my daughter was inside the tent and she said, Mum, if you catch that bus and catch that train, you'll be able to get that person to the AA meeting. And I went, wow, that's huge. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Uh, Also, we might take a short break. Um, We have a song. This one's called uh, What About Me by Moving Pictures.
every Sunday here at 3CR from 6 to 7 p.m. Join me, Holly, for your one hour of 1960s tracks and inspired sounds. Ah, welcome back. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you'd like to listen to one of our many podcasts, then you can find us on your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free and check out our website. Uh, you can also contact us via phone, email or Twitter. Today we're talking to Jane and we're talking about alcoholism and her recovery through Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so Jane, before the um, break, we were talking about um, your craving for alcohol. And most mm-hmm. people who deal with an alcoholic don't understand that they're between the alcoholic and the alcohol. And I think the alcoholic should be focusing on them, but the alcoholic can't see them because they're looking towards the alcohol. So do you want to sort of explain that family dynamic and the fact that how the family... Um, I guess, is in the way as an alcoholic? Yeah. Um, after, after many, many, many years of being a blackout drunk, I still didn't understand alcoholism. And I had that ism, now that I'm an active member in AA, but it was that that craving, that that desire that I it just gave me that sense of comfort and ease. In some t- towards the end I, I everything looked fine. On the outside, lunches made, clothes washed, clothes clean. But behind all of that was empty bottles of grog hidden in my shoes, in the laundry basket, in the toilet cistern. <laughs> I was I was un- unable to function to even clean the bathroom with that kick of alcohol. And... So powerful having that ism and that addiction, that desire, that it, it's awful. And I couldn't see the trees through the forest, which were my family, which were my friends. You know, my husband and I would often talk, or would, you know, we'd often beg me, plead me. My daughter would beg and plead. And I thought I listened, but I didn't. And I don't know why I didn't until now. But back then it was just that burning desire that even by 11 o'clock in the morning I was planning and scheming how I was going to get that next drink and even on that electric scooter how I was going to you know fit my daughter's school bag in it and then also you know half a dozen 
cider. But then this is then the progression of that disease. That cider wasn't enough. I needed that that hit of spirits or, you know. And, yes, I drank metho. And that's how powerful it was. Mm. But I didn't know about rehabs. I, I, I didn't know about AA. I, it just wasn't on my radar. It, grog was just my radar. <laughs> it was my life. Yeah. So you didn't think you had a problem? <sighs> Not to the point mm. of learning what I knew. I was a heavy drinker. Mm. But the blackout drinking became so norm, so normal. Um, no, I, no, I didn't. Mm. I yeah. didn't. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was, was going to say, my, my dad was an alcoholic and I'd, I hadn't realised until I'd interviewed a few people on this show that about blackout drinking and the fact that in a blackout an, an alcoholic can appear to be fully functional they just don't remember what they've said and done. And that was why I couldn't understand how he could get up the next day and act as if nothing had happened the night before. And that was the reason why he was in a blackout. And my dad was probably in a blackout for the last, I don't know, 25 years of his life, really, um, each day. And that explained a lot to me in that, um, you know, I couldn't hold him accountable because he couldn't, he couldn't remember anyway, so it was just pointless me trying to force him to, to change because he didn't really know there was a problem. Yeah, yeah. You, it makes perfect perfect sense. Yes, yeah. in hi- in hindsight it does. Yes, but at the time it, it's just so confusing having somebody who appears normal but is absolutely not functioning at all. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 Um, so, how did Getting sober changed your life. Oh, wow. Getting sober changed my life in so many unimaginable ways. In early days, there was the normality (laughs) of my cousin's children allowing me to put their little ones in the car and take them to see the fireworks. At New Year's Eve, New Year's Eve was all about me in those days. But having trust to look after the children, look after my family, be present for my family, to be present... I was never present when I thought I was. And that's a really difficult thing to explain to others. And the gifts of sobriety are just huge. It's not about money. It's not about materialistic things. It's about having the love the physical contact, the mental contact, the the welfare of my family and friends, mental health. 
They don't have to worry about me. And they they care about me. I care about them. And they protect my sobriety so fiercely. That's a gift. Mm. That's a gift. Yes. <laughs> Do you want to talk about that thing about them helping you in that way? Oh, yes. Um, believe it or not, I drank everything right through to meso, as I mentioned, but there was always beer in in the fridge at home, and so that never troubled me. And as I was getting sober, people were a bit nervous about bringing alcohol over or asking me, is it okay if I have a drink and if it's okay if I can do this, and I'm genuinely saying to them, yes, it's okay. And then what my girlfriend and cousin have done for me is they would have alcohol around and they would come and they would drink it, but they would either take what was left in the bottle home from the fridge or put it in the bin. Mm. There was never to be, you know, and my daughter has now spirits downstairs, mm. but in early days I don't think that would have worked. So there was that, that balance again um, and me learning, once the obsession was removed through AA, there was that freedom, that freedom Mm. and knowing that I can still laugh, I can dance on a table, I can, I don't have to have a hip flask (laughs) if I go to a hospital to see a brand new baby or to a funeral, you know, I don't, yeah, that's, and I I think um, I do tear up at the fact that my family are so fiercely protective of my sobriety. I've been coming home with um, chocolates from work and uh, my daughter flipping the back over saying, no, Mum, that's the liqueur cherry ones, you're not having those. <laughs> you know, And it, that, that to me is, is huge, huge. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's classic, isn't it? Yeah. So you, you talked about work. So do you want to talk a bit more about getting back to work and you know the the effect sobriety's had on your ability to work? Wow. Um, I've been in the same job for fifteen years, and like I said, I've been sober the nine and a bit, and. I I muddled through. Um, I must have put people in terrible situations with my pores and my breath smelling of alcohol and my eyes as bloodshot as rubies, <laughs> you know, and then coming coming out of it and people saying at work, Jane, you 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 look you look good, you know, you you you're looking a little healthy and all these little compliments coming along. And just um, this year I've taken a huge leap of faith at work and I never thought at my age and where I am in my journey of alcoholism 
that I can do it and I'm doing it well and I'm confident and I'm comfortable and I don't need grog to go home and think about the horrible day or the great day. I can just be me. I'm comfortable in my own skin. Mm. And that's what it's all about, being comfortable in my own skin because I know what comes out of my mouth is not going to be the wrong thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. It's good, good to be accept yourself as you are. Yeah. <clears throat> yes. Okay. Uh, we're up to another short break. Um, the song is called Don't Dream It's Over by Crowded House.
clear, please. I'm trying to, but you're in my way. Come on. Hey. Please don't talk to me. Like I've been that. waiting for ages. Look, if you could... What the hell is going on? I know. I'm so sorry. Hey, this isn't my order. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, idiot. Too many workers face violence and aggression every day. It's never okay. A message from WorkSafe Victoria. A 3CR supporter. Panoply, panorama, panpipe, pansy, aha, pansexual. Knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855 AM digital and 3cr.org.au. You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. Uh, Welcome back. This is the Living Free Show on 3CR Digital, live streaming on 3cr.org.au. And we're talking with Jane about recovery from alcoholism through Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, So, Jane, before the break, we were talking about working and your colleagues realising that you started to look a lot better uh, as you were were recovering. So how has it improved your your work life? It's improved my work life by having a clear mind and making clear, concise decisions and not being afraid because I always had fear that I was never enough or good enough and I didn't realise that until I got into AA and they talk about fear. So that has helped me but also to be humble at work and say thank you when this new job has been given to me and and accept you know as I was saying you know accepting me for me yeah i am i am a good person and I do the next best thing and I am polite to others and if I'm polite to others, you get that back and it doesn't go to my head anymore. Mm. It just stays comfortably with me. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Um, So do you want to talk a bit about um, helping others in AA? Because that's a big part of recovery in fellowships is giving back and you can never give back to the people who helped you because... They're, reco- they're recovering, um, and it's always the, the the new member. So, do you want to talk about you know, helping people into AA? Yes, yes, definitely. Um, it. Um, I was always taught 
that the newcomer is the most important person in the room. And I was that. And it's just offering that gentle hand, that genuine look in someone's eyes saying, I'm here for you if you need need it. And just waiting in the wings and accepting them when they're ready. I can't force anybody into AA. I can suggest things that were suggested to me and that's the beautiful part of AA is just suggestions. If someone had have told me to come back to a meeting or told me I had to do a certain thing, I would have said, well, go jump, I'm going home to have a drink. But there's the steps of AA and the steps are there and they're in an order for a reason because it goes hand in hand with the big book and it's the first 164, 184 pages that we really do need to read. I, We do, as alcoholics, need to read. And it's introducing to the newcomer that it's not a sect. It's not allied with any denomination. Yes, there are the word God on the wall and God in the big book, but it's a spiritual spiritual program it's a spiritual program and it can be laying underneath a tree it can be just having somebody like today with Gab in the room with me and when that person's ready like I was ready I'll be there and it's living proof. It works. Mm. You are. Yeah. It is. It's yeah. living proof. <laughs> yeah. um, sort of looking back, is there anything that would have helped you stop drinking earlier? Yes. Had there have been more information. A bit topical, but there's so many alcohol ads Mm. out there on the radio, TV. They quit the smoking ads. You know, can't we advertise? You know, I know we AA is AA for a reason, but mm. can't we have a couple of pamphlets in doctor's surgeries or... I don't, I don't know, I... If I could be make the world a better place, I'd have AA written up everywhere. Mm. But that that's just for me. That's just for me. And, you know, I, I know that's not really keeping within our tradition, but had I have known earlier, I would have grabbed it mm. like I did with my nails and I hung on for dear life. Mm. Yeah, I think I heard about AA from a TV program. I think it was number 96, they had an AA, a person go to AA in number 96, and that was the first time I'd ever heard of it. You know, that was, you know, 40, 50 years ago probably. Um, and, yeah, it, it really is important that information is available to people so that anybody can help anybody else by just saying, you know, 
this this is available if you want it. It's a bit like any other medical stuff that you know more and more information is coming out now about all sorts of medical conditions and um, you can freely look it up but people don't sort of realize that alcohol is a problem it's 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 a huge problem and especially during COVID Mm. there are so many people coming into the rooms now and you know for me I it's just my opinion but I believe it's a genetic disease and I have that genetic gene I'm I have that ism I'm an alcoholic and I'm proud to be an alcoholic and I'm a grateful grateful alcoholic and if I can just share the, you know, share my experience, strengths and hope and do service like I am today, if one word I've said can just help somebody to get to AA, and I think being in the rooms of AA, there's not one person in that room that doesn't want success for the person they're looking at or sitting next to or talking to. Mm. And for me, that's a spiritual gift. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not about them, it's about the other, yeah. Um, Yes, it it really is important to want want others to have the benefit that you have, Mm. Um, that often it's hard, hard won, and you can see people who you know who would benefit from it but who just don't want it and i guess that's the other challenge is letting people come and go when you think if they stayed it would really help and you go that's that's their decision yeah yeah it was said to me by an older sober member that you can put people in the lifeboat but eventually you have to cut the rope I thought, my goodness, that's not how AA works. We have to help everybody. You know, goodness me. (laughs) And now I see how many people come and go. They go back out there. Unfortunately, they pass away. Mm. But then there's others that come back and keep coming back and they'll get it. They'll get it and it's a willingness. Mm. And... Do you want to talk about people coming back and some of the barriers to people coming back to AA? Oh, yes. Look, I I admire them. I admire them because you often hear that the the doors get narrower for that person who wants to come back and I believe that the the doors are, are wider and I admire them so much for their strengths and courage and it's... I used to feel quite selfish listening to that person who had busted to come back because I was learning from them what it's like to go back out. But I, And I'm grateful that they do come back so we all can learn from in that room, whether you're 40 years sober, one day sober. I've heard of people busting after 37 years mm. and... It's no guarantees. No. Uh-uh. no, it's one day 
at a time. Mm. One day at a time. And it's a, a beautiful guy who passed away sober said to me, he said, Janie, he said, the world record for sobriety is 24 hours. <laughs> you know, and that's... I've hung on to that for so long. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's good, isn't it? Yeah. Um, we're nearly up to time, but... Um, so, just sort of to go back to the, the trust, we, we talked about trust earlier and respect. Um, so, do you want to talk about the... Th- uh, I guess the progression of trust with your family, the sort of things you had to go through to gain their trust. Oh, yep. Uh, I remember my daughter was in bed and I'd open a can of fly spray <laughs> and she flew out of bed thinking it was that sound. Um, my husband... Not so much, because he could see me getting well, whereas it was different from my daughter because she was so much younger. And then one day I had a a glass next to me and it was soda water and I'd picked it up and the condensation was on the outside of the glass and it fell from my hand and I could just see the look of terror in everybody's faces and I thought oh you know and it was thought oh no I'm not and people wanting to smell my breath so those things that I thought because I'd given up the grog were going to be but those things happened I was honest about them I owned them that's what I had to do I owned it I owned it Everything from my past, everything. And and as you, others around me who are those normies, learn that I'm an alcoholic, it's so much easier and freeing. And uh, respect, and me having respect for others too and trust for others. And what you give, you you get back. Mm. And there were challenges, yes, Bill, there were so many, Um, but... They don't come to mind at the minute until I'm home in the car and I'll say, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell Bill that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, one of the things that I remember, you know, with my father was pouring alcohol down the sink and realising the absolute pointlessness of it because he used to drink sherry a lot and... (laughs) And we'd, we'd pour a flagon of sherry down the sink. And the flagon of sherry wasn't cheap at that point. Um, and we didn't have a lot of money. So looking back, what are the sort of things your family did to try and stop you drinking? Exactly that. Yeah. E- exactly that. Um, my husband looking at bank statements. Um, my daughter getting out of the car and wanting to come into every shop I went to, even though I'd say, no, stay in the car, I'm just going into Safeway. Uh, No, stay in the car, I'm just going here. Um, So those, those types of things that I was unaware of then... Now, no. Looking back, yes. Yeah, I love oh, that crystal ball. Oh, and I must have smashed a hundred of those, by the way. 
Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay, well, listen, we're just about at time, so um, throwing over to you, Gab, would you like just to um, reflect on this time of year and how difficult it is for people who have addictions and... Yeah, um, thank you so much, Jane, for your time today. It's, it was just wonderful to hear you share and share your hope. Um, and yeah, I really relate to the to the family and the building trust and the just the peace of mind that you can give back to your loved ones after years of destruction. Mm, thank you. Uh, um, yeah, look, coming up to Christmas. Um, you know, I know for myself, I've been, you know, I've been smashing the meetings. I've, I've, I've upped my meetings and my connection with other alcoholics and addicts um, because it's not uh, not an easy time, whether it's, you know, you, you're really early and you're just trying not to pick up that drink or, you know, you've got family, you know, issues or not issues, just the crazy chaotic, you know, nature of this time of year. And I think, you know, my, I guess, from my experience at the moment, I need to make sure that I take out some time and I do some meditation and I, you know, connect with other alcoholics and addicts. And, you know, if you're really looking and, and struggling at the moment, I, I strongly suggest if you can get down to a meeting and, and, and everyone will rally. That's, that's my, that's my suggestion, but yes. Yeah. And there's mm. so many meetings all around the world that we can zoom. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that's that fascinates me. That's incredible, and I must admit, I am hooked on a on an overseas Zoom. It's great. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's good. Absolutely. Okay, uh, if anybody would like to find out more about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can call them on one three hundred triple two triple two, or go online at aa.org.au for more information on recovery from alcoholism. So that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Jane for sharing her drinking recovery story with us and talking about how Alcoholics Anonymous has helped. Thanks, Jane. Oh, thank you so much, Bill. And there is hope and there is life after putting down that drink. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, I'd also like to take this opportunity to thank my co-host, Anne, for the great shows she's presented this year and to thank the 3CR staff and volunteers for their support during 2022 especially Michaela, Inez and Leanne. Um, Also, a big shout-out to Ray, Di, Yvonne and Dan, who coordinate our weekly guests. I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll play our second of a two-part feature on a Western Australian ice and alcohol support group called Doors Wide Open. Uh, Coming up next, we have Balanoir, The Spirit of Wire, hosted by Uncle Calgram Choco Edwards. Join Uncle Choco in a spirit of war on a journey of belonging and movement through sing-alongs and yarns. Um, that show will be a replay, I understand, today. So thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR.